chapter number four, please. Luke chapter number four. We're looking at the first 15 verses of the chapter this morning. Beginning at verse one. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Jesus answered him, it is written... Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Well, the title of the message this morning is Jesus Faces Temptation, and uh, all of us are indeed familiar with temptation, uh, whether it comes in the form of a chocolate chip cookie or something far more serious. Uh, Temptation is anything that influences us to go against the will of God. That's what temptation is. It is anything, anything, and I emphasize that, anything that influences us to go against the will of God. Now, in and of itself, temptation is not sin. Sin is committed when we give in to that influence by doing the thing that is outside the will of God. It's not a sin to be tempted, it is a sin to yield to the temptation, to give in to the influence, to go outside the will of God regarding the thing that is tempting us. Now all of us face it, it is a commonality that we share, no one in this room is exempt from it, so we need to expect seasons of temptation. Now, many of us may struggle with that thought in general. Perhaps every time a a thought comes to your mind that could lead you to sin, 
you think to yourself, how can I be right with God and be tempted like this? But temptation is not always predicated upon one's standing with God. In other words, temptation comes to those who seek to feed their flesh with sinful desires and temptation comes to those who every day yield their lives to the Spirit of God. The point that I'm trying to make here is that you can be right with God and still experience temptation. So remove that question out of your mind that is constantly asking yourself, how can I be right with God and face so much temptation? You can be right with God and face a great deal of temptation. And of course, nothing speaks to that any more clear than verses 1 and 2 of our text. And Jesus, that's where it begins, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. So here it is, Jesus, the perfect Son of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, facing temptation. By way of exposition this morning, I want us to walk through these verses together and then I'll close by considering two important takeaways from this passage that I think will be very helpful to us. So very, very very basic. The first point is this, the wilderness. Let's look at the wilderness, Uh, the desert, if you will, verses 1 and 2. The temptation of Jesus here in in Luke chapter 4 immediately follows his baptism in Luke chapter 3. It is an experience of human testing, of human testing. I want us to begin with that thought because it is vitally important to grasping the identity of Jesus and his work as our high priest. Jesus Christ does not simply appear to be human. He is human. Hebrews chapter 2 and 17 says that he, Jesus, became like his brothers. That is, he became like those he created. He became like us in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. So again, it's important that we understand this when we come to this temptation. If you don't understand this, you're going to throw this whole scenario out the window as if it's not a big deal, as if Jesus doesn't understand you. But he does, because Jesus doesn't resemble humanity. He is human in every respect, just like us. Philippians chapter 2 speaks to this, doesn't it? Let me me paraphrase. Philippians 2 says, though he was God, he did not use his deity as an advantage to his human experience. He humbled himself. He willingly became obedient in human form to whatever the will of the Father required of him in his human form, even death itself. And that is extremely important to understanding his temptation in Luke chapter 4. For while Jesus knew he was the Son of God, he received the temptations of Satan as a real man. So 
So when Hebrews chapter 2, 18 says that he, Jesus, he himself has suffered when tempted, Scripture is acknowledging that Jesus suffered the experience of temptation in his humanity just like you do, just like I do. Again, Hebrews 4.15, Hebrews is very helpful to us in understanding the human nature of Christ and how that he is 100% God and 100% man and how that works together in his priestly work. Hebrews 4.15 says that he was in every respect tempted as we are in every respect. Now, is... Jesus, God in the flesh, yes, but he is also human. And in this regard, he experienced human temptation. Of course, the hallmark distinction to which we will come to here in a few moments is that Jesus experienced temptation without sinning. That is the distinction. He received the temptation in human form. He overcame the temptation unlike we do. He was perfectly obedient and victorious over it. But I find it interesting that this desert experience that Jesus is going through was ordained by God the Father. Look at verse 1. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the Wilderness, the desert. Desert experiences are time, times of preparation and testing. Think about where the Lord is. He is just days away from launching out into a three-year early earthly ministry. So what's he doing out there in the desert? He's fasting. He's praying. He's seeking God. He's demonstrating an expressed desire and need to depend upon the power of the triune God to carry out the will of his Father. And that is why God has led him into the desert. He has led him into the desert for this season of preparation, this time of testing, this period of prayer and fasting. By the way, this Time of fasting in and of itself is a remarkable example to us who follow Christ and our need at times to deny our flesh in order to express complete dependence upon the power of God in our lives and circumstances. That's what Jesus is doing here. He is demonstrating through prayer and fasting, seeking the face of his Father, complete yieldedness to the will of his Father. He's preparing for what will be the most powerful earthly ministry the world has ever known. And in preparation for that, he is yielding everything. He is yielding everything to the will of God for his life. And this time of testing and preparation is being done in the desert, a place of loneliness, weakness discomfort, intense difficulty. Mark even describes that while Jesus was out there, he was surrounded by wild animals. This is not an easy experience. 
This is a challenging experience. And it's all ordained by God for both the Lord's purposes as well as for our purposes. Now, here's what I have learned about these moments in my own life, these desert moments, these times of testing and preparation. This is what we see in other biblical examples, even with Jesus' experience here. And listen to me very carefully. Satan loves to attack our weaknesses during seasons of testing. He loves to attack all points of our weaknesses during seasons of testing. Peter mentioned it like this in 1 Peter 5, 8. Your adversary, your enemy, your, your attacker, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion just seeking someone to devour So so when you put all of this together, Jesus is in the desert. He's been living around wild animals. He hasn't eaten for six weeks, 40 days. It's a place of loneliness, a place of isolation, darkness, difficulty, but yet testing, preparation. To me, it seems like a perfect time for the devil to show up. And so it is so often in our lives. This is certainly what Satan wants to do with Jesus while he is facing this time of testing. He's fasting and praying in the desert. But, 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 But again, remember, even though Satan wants to do this, it's all ordained by God. It's all ordained by God. The temptation was inflicted by Satan, but the experience was ordained by God. God the Father allowed God the Son. Think about this. God the Father allowed God the Son. He was led into the desert by the Holy Spirit. God the Father allowed God the Son to be tempted by leading him through the Holy Spirit into this desert. A place where he knew Jesus would come face to face with Satan himself. All right, so that's the backdrop. That's the setting. He's in the wilderness. He hasn't eaten for quite a while. It's a time of testing. The Holy Spirit has led him there. God has ordained this desert experience. God has ordained this difficulty in his life. God is allowing it all to happen. So let's look secondly at the temptations itself. So we have the wilderness, verses 1 and 2. Now we come to the temptations, which is the bulk of the passage, verses 3 and 12. Now, a couple things here. While Jesus' temptation had universal implications to the same types of temptations that you and I face, Jesus' specific attacks from Satan were unique to him. All right? They have universal implications. That is, we all are tempted with issues of the flesh, issues of our eyes, issue with pride. We're all tempted in the same types of way, but the specific temptations were only unique to Jesus. And what I mean by that is you and I will never be tempted to turn rocks into bread because you and I are fully human, and that's it. But Jesus was fully human and fully God. He had the power to do everything that he was being tempted by Satan to do. So these Temptations were uniquely his own, which 
brings me to the overarching purpose of why Satan attacks Jesus in the manner that he does. In other words, why is this even here? Why did God the Father lead God the Son into the desert to be tempted? Well, I want you to consider the context of the temptation by going back to Luke chapter 3. And what is it that happened in Luke chapter 3? Well, one of the first key marks is that John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to the Jordan River. And as he saw him coming, what did John declare? He said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Look, there he is, the one I've been telling you about. That's him, the Son of God. And then as Jesus was being baptized, a voice from heaven rings out. And that voice from heaven, we know to be from God the Father who says, This, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. In other words, God the Father was saying from heaven, Right here, there He is. That's the Son of God. And then we have this genealogy for Christ at the end of Luke chapter 3, which in the very final verse of Luke chapter 3's chapter here, He declares Jesus to be not only the son of Adam, but what? The son of God. So so his temptation follows the context of everything that is being declared about him in Luke chapter 3. You see, the main purpose of Satan's temptation was to dismantle Jesus' identity as the son of God. John declared him to be the son of God. The voice from heaven, God the Father, declared him to be the Son of God. The paternity test proved him to be the Son of God. But now Satan shows up. And he's trying to do anything and everything he can to cause you and I to doubt whether or not he's the Son of God. In fact, that's how he opens up his temptations. Twice in these three temptations. Look at verse 3. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God. That's what they've all been saying to you. But if you really are the son of God, then do this. Verse 9. Satan said to him, if, if you are the son of God. Again, they're all saying this about you. But if it's really true, then, then here's how I want you to prove it. You know, it's a fascinating reminder, isn't it, that everything God affirms, Satan attacks. Everything. God affirmed Jesus to be his son. Now Satan is attacking that identity. The same is true in our lives. God has affirmed who Jesus is and how you need to put your faith in him and trust him as the son of God. But Satan is attacking him, attacking you in this very moment, trying to get you to doubt and dispute whether or not he really is the son of God. God has affirmed his word to be the very breath of God, that every point of it is true, that it's been authorized by God as our very guide of life. But what does Satan do? Satan wants to come around and calls you to doubt whether or not it's his word. To doubt whether or not God will really do what he said that he would do. In so many other areas of our life, God affirms marriage, but Satan is attacking your marriage. God affirms holiness, Satan is attacking your holiness. 
It's exactly what happens here. God announced from heaven that Jesus was his son and then gave the paternity test to prove it. And now Satan shows up and is ready to cast doubt on it, to dispute it. So make no mistake this morning. Satan is constantly at work seeking to bring doubt about Jesus' identity. But this was allowed by God because he wants us to know that Jesus is the Son of God. And so as we see him victoriously overcome every temptation, these thousands of years later, we open up our Bibles and we wonder, what's it here for? Well, here's what it's here for. It's to help you to believe him and to trust him and to know that he truly is the Son of God. That he can do what you and I cannot overcome Satan's temptations in our lives. Well, let's, let's look at the three temptations. The first one is a temptation regarding God's provision. We find that in verse 3. Satan says, if you are the son of God, command these stones or this stone to become bread. Well, this was a real temptation for Jesus. Again, He's receiving these temptations in his human form. He had been fasting for 40 days. And verse 2 is clear that Jesus was, was hungry. Now, I'll be quite honest with you. In those moments in my life where God is leading me to fast for a 24-hour period, man, does the stomach growl. But can you imagine the physical and mental suffering of going six weeks without food in the desert? Jesus was hungry. He was tired. He was, in human form, vulnerable. But because he was the Son of God, he could have done what Satan tempted him to do. He could have looked at those stones and turned them into bread. By the way, turning rocks into bread is not a sinful act. That's not the issue here. But like each one of us, Jesus' earthly purpose was to do the will of his Father. That's how we have to view these influences that come into our life. Our purpose for being here is to do the will of God the Father. Jesus said in John 6 and verse 37, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He could have turned the rocks into bread anytime he wanted to. But again, temptation is anything that influences us to go against the will of God. What Jesus was facing here was the temptation to provide for his personal needs apart from the will of his Father. And so he responds to Satan with Scripture, quoting Deuteronomy, look at it there in verse 4, and Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. In other words, I will not take matters into my own hands. I will not turn these rocks into bread. No, 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 my, my father will take care of me. He has led me into this desert he has led me to fast and pray, and I will trust on him to give me what I need when the timing is right. Jesus was perfectly obedient, refusing to step outside the parameters of God's will in order to meet his provisions. 
And how often are we tempted to do the same? To step outside of the will of God in order to meet the provisions of our flesh. So a temptation regarding God's provision. Secondly, a temptation regarding God's plan. A temptation regarding God's plan. Verse 5, the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me. And I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. So Satan presents a vision before Jesus. A vision of every nation of the world abandoning their idols and giving their allegiance to Christ as Lord. But the temptation, once again, was to ignore the will of God. Satan was promising to give Jesus what he came to earth to do if he would do it Satan's way by worshiping him instead of by going to the cross. But that's not God's will. The Father's plan for our redemption, the Father's plan for Jesus' earthly ministry involved pain and suffering and death on Jesus' part. Satan's temptation was for Jesus to take the easy way. To be a shortcut savior, if you will. To gain the crown without the cross. Of course, let me just stop right here and say, it was an empty promise anyway. For the blood atonement of a perfect savior was required to bring salvation to a world of sinners. Not bowing to Satan's limited power. We don't even know if Satan would have been able to do what he's saying that he could do here. I'm being tempted about some things right now. But once again, Jesus responded to Satan with Scripture, quoting Deuteronomy. Look at verse number 8. Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Jesus perfectly obeyed the will of his Father by refusing to compromise on God's plan and bypass the redemptive plan of the gospel. But again, how often are we tempted to bypass the plan of God in our own lives for an easy way? Temptation regarding God's provision, a temptation regarding God's plan. The third temptation was a temptation regarding God's protection. God's protection. Verse 9, Satan took him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Uh, Satan is very good at what he does. So since Jesus is using so much scripture to fight Satan off, Satan decides, hey, I can play that game too. You use Scripture, I'll use Scripture. And that's what Satan decides to do. But instead of using Scripture in the right way, Satan twisted Scripture for his own purposes. Essentially, what Satan was saying here is if you're so committed to obeying God's Word, then obey this. Was that Jesus said that the whole time? No, I'm not going to turn the stones and the bread, because it's, it's written. It's written, man shall not live by bread alone. That would step outside the will of God. I must obey my Father. 
Well, worship me and you won't even have to go to the cross. No, 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 no. The, the word of God says that we only worship God. I must go to the cross. This is the will of God for my life. I will obey my Father. Okay, all right, all right, Jesus. You're so good at obeying your Father will obey this. Jump off the temple and prove God's word to be true and see if he sends his angels to come catch you like his word says it will. That is, you know, if you really want to obey the word of God. Satan wanted Jesus to test his father instead of trust his father. And he twisted scripture to attempt to get Jesus to buy into that. Now, let me just say this. If Satan twists scripture in the face of Jesus, then he will twist scripture in your face today. Oh, you know, you just, God loves you anyway. God, God's going to forgive you anyway. Just go, go right ahead. Go do whatever your heart and flesh desires. He twists Scripture in order to tempt us to step outside the will of God. But Jesus, the Word incarnate, knows perfectly how to handle God's Word. Now, we do our best to rightly divide the word, but honestly, we're humans with, with, with failures and sin, and we don't always get it right. Sometimes we twist it ourselves, but not Jesus. He knows perfectly how to handle every word, every verse, every passage of Scripture. He knows how to rightly divide the word of God. And here's what he says in verse 12, and Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, Satan, God is to be trusted. He is to be served. He is to be worshipped. But he is not to be tested. Can I help us this morning? It is not our role as subjects to God's authority to attempt to force him to act in our lives. Let me say that again. Because sometimes our motives can be good. But it is not our role as subjects to God's authority to attempt to force God to act in our lives. Kent Hughes said it like this better than I could say it, so I'm just going to quote him. Willful swan dives test the Lord. Diving into a marital relationship that does not have the approval of God's word. Misapplying scripture with disastrous consequences. And then crying out for God to catch us before we hit bottom rationalizing a headstrong plunge by saying, if this works, God will receive glory. Just think of the souls that will be saved. God, you have to be in this. You just have to be in this. It is true. He does specialize in picking up the pieces. But we must not test him through rationalized disobedience. But the glory of this is that in each temptation, Jesus chose to live in perfect submission to the will of God. And that brings us once again to the primary purpose of this desert experience. 
God the Father ordained this experience for God the Son that we will be confident that He is the Son of God. You see, the temptation of Jesus fulfilled a dual purpose. It prepared Him, one, to be our high priest. And then for us, secondly, it strengthens our faith in who He is. Again, Satan wants us to doubt his identity. He wants to manipulate the sonship of Christ. He wants us to question whether or not he is truly the son of God. But Jesus' victory over temptation in Luke chapter 4 is so that you and I will ultimately see that he is the son of God. And I can trust him. He can do what I cannot We have the wilderness, we have the temptations, and then quickly the departure. The departure comes in verse 13, and when the devil had ended, key word there, in fact, there's a couple key words here. When the devil had ended every temptation, he departed, that's another key word. So we see an end to the temptation, we see a departure of Satan, and then here's another key phrase, he departed from him until, until an opportune time. So the temptations came to an end. Satan departed him, not forever, however, but until the next time and opportunity. Now, here's what I wrote down in my notes. Listen very carefully. The intensity of temptation is temporary, but the attacks of temptation are reoccurring. The intensity of temptation is temporary. It came to an end. Jesus resisted the devil, and the devil fleed from him. But the attacks of temptation are reoccurring because Jesus will face Satan again. He will face him in Gethsemane at the opportune time. And at the opportune time, he will also rear his ugly head over and over again in our own lives. But we, we, we don't sit around in fear. Hey, he got me last year. He got me last month. Boy, Tuesday was a struggle. So we don't lock ourselves down, chomping our nails, sitting around in fear. No, we, we go forward with God's plan. That's what Jesus does in verse 14 and 15. The temptation comes to an end, and what does Jesus do? He heads to Galilee, and he begins his ministry. He goes forward in the will of God, even though he knows that Satan's going to come back around, knocking at the door again, that it won't be the last time that he will be faced with such temptation. And so it is for us. We can't sit around, biting our nails, sitting around in fear, wondering if he's going to show up today or maybe tomorrow. No, 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 no. We need to humbly be aware that temptation could resume at any moment. But we go forward in the confidence of Jesus doing the will of God for our lives. The desert, the temptations, the departure. Now with all that in mind in conclusion, I want to give you two very important takeaways from our text. Two things. Two things. The primary purpose of this passage is to help you see that Jesus is the Son of God. But let's... Let's step back and see what also Jesus is teaching us here. Here's the first thing. In our temptations, run to Jesus. In our temptations, run 
to Jesus. He is the Son of God. He is the Son of God whose perfect human obedience has solidified his ministry as our high priest. Let's go back to Hebrews 2.18. We didn't read the whole verse, but here's the whole verse. Because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus is able to help us in our temptation. So what do we do when we are tempted? We run to Jesus. We run to our help. He is our high priest who can help us. MacArthur said he felt the power of sin's temptation. He cried. He shed tears. He heard. He grieved. What he had always known in his omniscience, he now learned in a new way on earth by his experience. He could not have been a fully sympathetic high priest had he not experienced what we experience and felt what we feel. And it is because of that reality that you and I can run to Jesus when we are overwhelmed with the struggles of temptation and the difficulties of our desert experiences. For not only has he faced it, he has also victoriously overcome it. Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Yet without sin. That's the key. Because the temptation of Jesus in Luke chapter 4 doesn't matter one iota to us if that statement right there in Hebrews 4.15 is not true. But it is true. He experienced every temptation that you and I experience. The difference is we give in. He did not. He did not. Let us then, the writer says, with confidence, with boldness, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need, in time of distress, in times of the desert, in times when we are tempted, Jesus is able to help us because he knows and he has overcome. Dane Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly, he said, Jesus' sinlessness means that he knows temptation better than we ourselves do. Jesus endured all our temptations and testings without ever giving in. Therefore, he knows the strength of temptation better than any of us. He says also our only hope is that the one who shares in all our pain shares in it as the pure and perfect holy one. In other words, our high priest doesn't need rescuing like all the other high priests. He provides the rescue. He's not trapped in the hole of sin down here with us. No, it is he and he alone who can pull us out. And it is that reason why we can run to him. He's not down here with us stuck. He's up there who is victoriously overcome. And when we are down in the desert, down in the wilderness, down in the temptation, he says, reach up to me and there you will find help for me to bring you out. When you're tempted, run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. It's not just about taking two verses of scripture and go get a good night's rest. I'm not belittling that. But it is first and foremost running to Jesus because his sinlessness is our salvation. His holiness is our 
help. Jesus has succeeded where we too often fail, where we failed yesterday, where we'll fail today, where we'll fail tomorrow. He succeeded in every one of those areas, and he welcomes you to run to him. Come with confidence, he says. Please come. Please come. Come with confidence. Call me. Oh, how many times I hear you say, Pastor, I didn't want to bother you. No, 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 bother me. Bother me. Jesus, Jesus always wants you to bother him. He always wants you to call him. He always wants you to come to him because he understands you. Remember, it's a throne of grace, not a throne of wrath. He forgives you. He'll help you. Maybe you've heard it said, perhaps even said it yourself. Well, if you're looking for sympathy... Don't come running to me. That's what I say to my dog just about every other day. But let me tell you something. If you're looking for sympathy, if you're looking for help, you better run to Jesus. He wants you to run to him. He stands in our place to defeat the temptation that so often defeats us. He is our strength. He is our high priest who is praying for us and helping us. It is he who will give us victory. Run to Jesus. But then secondly, in our temptations, rest in God's word. Rest in God's word. Now, don't miss the truth that to each of these three temptations in Luke 4, Jesus did respond with Scripture. He relied on and rested in the truth of God's Word and His overcoming of Satan's temptation. I think it resounds clearly to us that we need to rest in God's Word in order to fight spiritual battles. We must trust the Word over the voices of temptation. really the main issue, isn't it? Which voice are we going to succumb to? Which voice are we going to listen to? The voice of God or the voice of the temptation? God, God shows us that we need to trust His Word over the voices of temptation. And that means fundamentally that we have to have a relationship with this book. We need to hear it. Believe it, trust it, receive it, listen to it, study it, meditate on it, write it, pray it, preach it, share it, live it, obey it. Well, we got to have a relationship with it in order to fight the spiritual battles that come to us. And we have to rest in it. Again, the temptation for Jesus in and of itself was not a wrongful act. It was just stepping outside the will of God that would have made it a sin had Jesus given in. How can we know whether or not we're stepping outside of the will of God if we don't know the mind of God? We have to know the mind of God. We have to know the parameters by which he wants our holiness to be observed. And it is by knowing the mind of God that we then can Rest in the Word of God. That even after six weeks of hunger in the desert, he still trusted God the Father to provide for him and not to take matters in his own hands. And you can apply that to just about any and every situation that you and I face. 
What is it we're going to trust? Are we going to rest in God's word to be able to do in our lives and hearts what he promised he would do? Or are we going to take matters into our own hands? Rest in God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 tells us that with every temptation, God provides a way of escape. You need to view it like this. Look right here and we're done. I'm going to pray. What are you laughing for? Ways of escape are like exit signs. You don't ever come into this room without knowing there's a way of an escape. You say, Pastor, I wish I'd have known that 20 minutes ago. I'd have got out of here rather quickly. <laughs> well, that now you know, okay? At any time, you're just done with me. There's a way of escape. There's a way of escape. And out there's a way of escape. But, but if you leave out there early, our security team is going to confront you and ask you, what, what, what's your problem with me? In every temptation, God provides an exit door, an exit strategy, a way of escape. And his way of escape is through the priestly work of Jesus and the inspired word of God. No matter what you will face today, if you run through Jesus and rest in God's word, you can escape the power of that temptation. That's the example. We have a way of escape. Now, whatever temptation you're facing, I want you to know that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Son of God who has faced victoriously our common temptations. And he wants to help you today. You're not living on an island. I know you feel like you're in a desert, but you're not in a desert. Jesus is with you. He wants you to run to him for help. He wants you to rest in his word. Because through his victory, he can give you victory. But it will never happen in your own power. It will only happen as we depend upon the triune power of the perfect, holy God. Let's stand together for prayer.